<laughs> Glory to God, how in the wide world are you? I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting on you because I've got a word for you. Now, I've got a direct download from the Holy Ghost tonight. So the first thing you need to do is know that Pastor Rod is a what? Audience participation preacher. That's right. So you have to participate. You know, there's really no place for stagnation in the body of Christ, in the church, in your personal life. I mean, look, we're in hot pursuit of revival, right? I know that's what you want in your life. I know that that's what I want in my life. I know that's what we want in the church. So you need to be an active participant, not a consumer, a contributor. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you get this gospel preacher. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not, underline, exclamation point, not. Type in not. Come on, I want somebody to let me know you're typing in right now, not. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not inclusive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not inclusive. Did you get it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, and if you get revival, if you'll know, it is not inclusive, it is exclusive. Our current culture, my dear brother and sister, has been baptized in an attempt for everyone to like you. If that consensus of conformity of never saying anything unpopular becomes your standard of mediocrity, then you will never stand up for the living power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you get that. It's time for the church to grow up. It's time for us to reach at least adolescence on our way to adulthood. Far too many have been in the kingdom of God far too long and have never progressed, watch me, beyond their first revelation of who Jesus is, who God the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is. Many in the church today are standing in the exact place where they came in. They've never progressed in the altar of God because they don't seek him they don't seek his face. They don't seek his word. They will never stand up for whatever it is that is contrary to biblical truth. Now, let me give you some scripture. The Bible is a rock of offense. Now, we got an entire culture that just can't handle it they're offended about everything. But when you say the Bible is a rock of offense, they don't know what to do. 1 Peter 2.28. It's not an inclusive concept. Nor is your Bible in Matthew 12.30. In the very words of our Canaan king, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, Matthew 12, 30, 
He who is not with me is against me. Now, now put it on there, Mr. Director, so they can see it loud and clear. Jesus said, he who is not with me. Jesus looked at his own disciples and said, could you not tarry with me in prayer one hour? How many in the church today are praying at least an hour a day? Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. If you think that our children being groomed by groomers of the LGBTQ group is okay, you're not with him. You're not with him. It doesn't matter to me what some backslidden preacher told you because all he's worried about is you coming back the next week. He's not concerned about your eternal soul or he'd get in the book and he'd get some revelation. He who is not, he who is not with me, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus said, he who is not with me, you, you don't really want me to say it, is against Jesus. He who is not with Jesus is against Jesus. Now that's everything being confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let me give you the third one. It's an even stronger admonition from the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Here it is. Enter at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. Well, we, we, we've replaced that with building a big user-friendly, seeker-sensitive church where nothing is ever said or done that would in any way offend the delicate sensibilities of sinners. Boy, I came loaded tonight. That broad way leads to destruction. And there are many who are going through that broad way that leads to destruction. Next verse. Small is the gate. Narrow is the way which leads to life. Listen, this book says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Sin is pleasant, says the book, for a season, but in the end, it is like a mouth full of gravel. Jesus said it without stuttering in John 3, 3. Truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, stop trying to improve on the language of Jesus. Jesus said you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let me quote from Revival If, the great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill. He said, I doubt that even 5% of professing Christians 
air parentheses, professing Christians, even 5% in America are born again. Look, we've got to begin to plead for showers of blessing. I've had it in my spirit all day from the great hymn, there shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons, oh God, send one, refreshing, sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing, precious, reviving again over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain, showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. Oh God, tonight for the showers we plead. Where's our witness? Where's our fire? Where's our energy? Where's our passion? Where's our power? Where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where are the burdened saints an hour before church ever begins, finding themselves prostrate on their faces in the altar of God, travailing as though they were in labor, crying out, God, give us souls or let us die. When Zion travails, your Bible said, not when Zion sits at ease in its self-interest, self-satisfaction, but when it gets into self-denial, then shall sons and daughters be born into the kingdom. Where is our travail at the altar? For that matter, <laughs> where are our altars? There are still some of us left that understand the altar of God. Look, revival is our only answer. God never ever intended for this extraordinary nation, America, to become a godless, amoral wasteland. The rain can and will fall upon this dry land again, even on your dry heart. And that outpouring will cause this barren plain to bloom once again. Revival if, only if. I want you to understand that tonight, you and I were in possession of a divine mandate of undaunted hope, we, you and me, every one of you joining me right now, and everyone you influence, we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I wanted to share with you tonight something very particular from the book Revival If. Two years I poured out my heart upon these pages in the presence of God Almighty. And when it came time for me to dedicate this monumental download from God's Holy Spirit, 
I ask the Lord, to whom shall I dedicate this two years of my life? And here's what the Holy Spirit had me write. With a spirit of tremendous expectation, I dedicate this volume to the bold and the courageous men and women who are and will become its eager recipients. That which I have freely received, I now willingly, enthusiastically discharge to my students, the world changers of Valor Christian College. May the Lord God Almighty deposit and develop within you the passion, the unction, the fire and power of the Holy Ghost. May you receive and accept his divine call. May you become that revenant remnant of revivalists who will steward and release to a weary waiting world another great awakening for the kingdom of God and of his Christ. It is in his name that I bless you. So last week I shared with you a little bit uh, about the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I'm sure some of it you'd never heard. I guarantee you some of what I'm gonna share tonight, 99, nine tenths of you have never heard. So share, 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 like, like, like. We're gonna talk about the Feast of Tabernacles again. Now, I well understand that this year's Feast of Tabernacles ended on Sunday, but God the Holy Ghost impressed me to share more of the tremendous revelation surrounding this season with you. Here's why. Jesus in Luke chapter four stood up to read and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, the recovering the sight of the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee. Well, it wasn't the year of Jubilee, but Jesus capped the thing off by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Meaning, whenever you get the revelation, you can enter into the blessing. So before we go any further this evening, I wanna address a little bit of the possibility of a misunderstanding about the subject matter that I'm sharing with you. I am in no way attempting to drag us back under the old covenant law. I'm not attempting to urge us uh, that we know and celebrate the sacred feast seasons of God for that reason. Absolutely, positively, unequivocally not. Here's my goal, revelation and celebration in the body of Christ, not legalism, the letter of the law kills, the spirit of the law gives life. My desire is for you and I to obey God, to see him in the greatest revelation that is available to us and he gave us something called Moedim, M-O-E-D-I-M, Moedim. Here's what it means. 
God's signs and festivals. God is a God of timing. God's a God of times. He's a God of seasons that were established among the ancient Israelites for a millennia. They are not obsolete religious observances. They're designed with great specificity by God himself to help you and to help me know, have a greater revelation of who God is, what his purposes and plans are, what his works and his ways are, and through them, how for us to navigate the current cultural, spiritual climate that we're involved in today. Now, all of these things point to a God-ordained conclusion at the end of this age. That's, that's where they're all pointing. God's divine calendar involves, watch me, heavenly visitations. Do you hear what I said? I said visitors from the spirit realm. Visitors of the supernatural kind. You better hold on. Everything in this counterfeit world that's going on around you right now is just that. It's a counterfeit. It's a poor counterfeit of what the reality is. Your Bible says that the sun, the moon, the stars are for the purpose of marking religious festivals or I like better, sacred times. So the Hebrew word, as I shared with you, was moadim. It's usually translated festivals, and it means a set time or an appointed time, okay? So when I say Moadim, we're talking about a set time or an appointed time. And I've got a watch on my wrist, but that's for Gregorian time. It's, it's, it's based on the sun. God's time's based on the moon. And the moon and the cycles God uses as a timepiece to show us, watch, appointed places, times for specific meetings. It, it indicates a sign. So it's a sign, watch me, that this is what these Moedim are, these celebrations, these feast times, a sign to us of an appointed time and an appointed meeting place. Wow. In other words, God in the heavens sends out an invitation for a specific meeting with you at a specific time and in a specific way. Because God's got a season cycle. He doesn't use the Gregorian calendar, uses the lunar calendar. God's year begins way over here. Give me my chart, Mr. Director. Way over here in Passover in the spring of the year, moves 50 days later, God's calendar, on over into Pentecost. Then there's a big separation to the fall of the year, false, fall feast, spring feast. 
when we get over here to Tabernacles, September, October, when we get over here, there are three feasts in this feast season. The first one is the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. That's God's new year. Doesn't come in January, comes over here in September, October, depending on the lunar cycle. Watch this. Second, 10 days of all, then the second feast day is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And then there's a separation between this first section and the last section called the Feast, not Season, but the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. It means booths. Leviticus 26, over in chapter 26, verse 11, I believe. Yeah, here we go. I will set my tabernacle among you. This is God. And I will not abhor you. Verse 12. I will walk among you. Think of that. The God of heaven and earth. The Elohim. El Shaddai. Jehovah Isus Hakamoth will walk among you and I will be your God and you, you'll be my people. Now, at Sukkot, observant Jews do something very particular. I hope, Mr. Director, Mr. Cameraman, you can come in here where I am. They, the observant Jews still do this. There's the Leviticus scripture that I just shared with you right there. And they would build this temporary shelter called a sukkah or a booth. Now the booth could only reach 30 feet high, but there's no limitation to the length or the width of the sukkah because the sukkah had to be large enough for an entire family to get in. And here's, here's one of the major parts. They had to have room for guests because this feast symbolizes unity and it is focused on invitation, on inviting as many people as they could during that seven-day feast to celebrate together the goodness of God. Tabernacles is a call to relationship, to power, to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's a call to dwell with the Holy One of Israel. Deuteronomy 16, 14 says, be joyful at your feast, your sons and daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, the Levites, that's the priests, the strangers, the fatherless or orphans, or the widows. When he's talking about strangers, the fatherless, the widows, he's talking about strangers, orphans, and widows. And basically what he's saying is, it's fine for you in your sukkah with your family to eat the fat, to drink the sweet. But he said, don't forget those for whom nothing is provided, those with less than you, those who are in need, right? 
So we, when we're eating and drinking, especially as we're remembering the Feast of Tabernacles, should always invite strangers, orphans, and widows because true joy, ha, tweet this, true joy is shared joy. Now, let's get into some things you may have never heard of. Jewish custom celebrates shared joy with something called ush pizen. Ush pizen. It means welcoming guests. Welcoming guests. Do you know that one thing folks rarely ever talk about in church leadership is something that God in the New Testament talked about very, very much? And that is that you must have a spirit, watch me, of hospitality, willing to share your home, to invite folks, to encounter the God that lives there. And moreover, the spirit of hospitality, to go into the highways, the byways, the hedges, and find those that need the love of God and compel them to come into God's sukkah, the church. Now, the tabernacle's feast lasted for seven days, right? So there's seven nights of sukkah. And every one of those nights, God, in order to show us that we're supposed to invite friends, family to encounter him, he says, I'm going to bring guests with me. God said, not only am I going to show up, I'm going to bring some of the holiest men of Israel, and I'm going to invite them to join your household and your guests in celebration in your sukkah, in your home. Now, as every one of these guests visits the sukkah, he empowers those gathered together with his particular anointing and his unique revelation of God. Do you understand that my revelation of God is different than your revelation of God? And we're all supposed to be progressing in our revelation of God? So God said, the first guest that I'm going to bring during those seven days, I'm going to bring Abraham. Now, Abraham embodies the loving kindness of God. You can find that out in Genesis 13, 8, 9. The loving kindness of God. Abraham and Lot were in a struggle and they were fussing with each other. And Abram said, look, let there be no strife, right? He's a strife breaker. Wouldn't you love to bring a strife breaker to your house? <laughs> Hallelujah. Wouldn't you love to bring folks in strife into your home where the Spirit of God manifests that there need be no strife between us, right? He said, don't even let our friends and our relatives argue with each other. The whole land's before us. He was a giver. Abram said to Lot, let's separate from each other. You want to go left, I'll go right. You want to go right, I'll go left. Oh, my great God, how we need that to visit our homes. How we need to bring hurting people at war with each other into our churches 
that they might see Jesus demonstrating loving kindness. Mark 10, 13, they brought the children to him and the, the disciples, the spiritual knuckleheads, rebuked them and, and, and not, don't let them touch me is what they thought Jesus would say, but no, no, no. He rebuked them and he said, suffer the little children to come to me. Forbid them not. Oh my, have we forgotten a generation? Have we forgotten to invite them to the house of God? Did God bless you with that big, beautiful Cadillac car, that beautiful minivan for you to come to church alone on Sunday morning? No, no, no. God said, look, you bring guests, I'll bring guests, and my guests and my Holy Spirit will break off them everything the devil put on them and put back on them everything the devil put on. The second visitor God said, I'll bring Isaac. He portrays the strength of God. You can find that in Genesis 26, 19 through 22. And then Jesus himself demonstrates strength. So he brings somebody else that demonstrates strength and he demonstrates strength himself. You can find that in John 18. Verses four through six, Jesus shows great power. Next, the third guest that comes during this season, they, they come tomorrow if, if you need them to, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Third visitor, third supernatural guest, God said, I'll bring the spirit of Jacob now we've got Jacob. Jacob represents truth. I'll just give you the scriptures. You can study them out later. Jacob, third visitor, truth. Genesis 32, 24. Jesus then in the new covenant also represents truth. John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Fourth, Moses. I'm giving you these for you to study, amen? This is a college course. You show up tonight so that I give you what for you to go dig out. Fourth visitor, Moses, personifies the eternal aspect of the word of God. Exodus 31, 18, when the Lord had made an end of communing with Moses, on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Listen, in the new covenant, Jesus is that living word. And he takes the flaming finger of the Holy Ghost and engraves his word, not on tablets of stone, but on the fleshly tablets of our heart where no devil can get to them. I believe we're on number well, we're, we're going to get to Aaron, or I say Aaron. <laughs> Aaron exemplifies divine splendor, majesty, mm, the very presence of God. Jesus, Leviticus 16, 2 is where you find that. Jesus had that same spirit, that same divinity, that same splendor, that same majesty. Listen, he said, I'm gonna bring it to your house. 
I'm gonna bring it to your sukkah. I'm gonna bring it to your church. Matthew 17, one. Two, six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, brought them up to a high mountain alone. Sometimes you gotta get alone till you're not alone anymore. And he was transfigured before them. Jesus' face shone as the sun and his garments became white as light. Do you know God wants to manifest that same kind of glory in your home and in your church? But you have to understand, see, you're getting a new revelation of what, how God wants to work in your life. Now when you study Moses, you'll have a whole different idea. Now when you hear the word Aaron, oh, he represents the glory of God in manifestation. And then you should invite people to experience that in your life, not to beat them over the head with a Bible. Have dinner with them. Invite them to your home, to your sukkah. Invite them to your church. There they will behold the glory of God himself. After Aaron, we've got just a couple more, seven of them in all. Number seven, is that where we are? The last supernatural guest to, no, number six. Is that right? Number six is Joseph, of course, Joseph. Now what Joseph represents is the foundation and holiness of our walk with God. Joseph had Potiphar's wife begging him to have sexual relations with her and he refused and refused and refused and refused. Why? He had foundational holiness. Oh, how we need to shout, holiness unto the Lord now and forever. Type holiness in right now. Let the whole wide world you believe in, no, you believe in sanctification, separation, holiness, dedication, consecration. The Lord Jesus certainly believed in it. And then the last guest, David. David, the establishment of the kingdom of God and his sovereignty. That's who Jesus was. That's why we call him King Jesus. And he's sovereign. I want you to know right now, at my address, Jesus is sovereign. At my address, in mine and Joni's bedroom, he is sovereign. My children are in my home, they're grown now. He is sovereign. He's king of kings. And of his kingdom, watch me, there shall be no end. He is the sovereign ruler over all creation. That's what 
he wants to bring to your house, to your sukkah. He wants you to bring people, having the spirit of hospitality, to spend time with them in the everydayness of life, which is what Tabernacles is about, in the everydayness of your life. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're going to work, going to school, everyday life. He wants you to understand, I'm with you. The seven spirits of God are with you. These seven visitors and their revelations of God are with you. And if you'll go and compel them to come in, not only to your home, but to church this Sunday morning. Ush Pizin gives us the greatest opportunity for evangelism known in the Christian church. Invite those you know, those you love, the poor, the stranger, the orphan, the fatherless, the widow, the widower, anybody hurting, lacking. Our responsibility to have the presence of God is to bring them in. Where did we lose this in the church? I'm gonna give you a staggering statistic right now. 91 or 92% of every person living in the United States of America will be born, live, and die and never one time have anyone invite them to church. That's what Tabernacles is all about. It's a feast time, a time of remembrance, but it has prophetic meaning in those seven days. Would you just take a week and make, a, make an all-out effort to bring somebody to church? I believe you will. I believe you'll do it this Sunday, wherever you are and whatever you do, make sure you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And even the more as you see that day approaching. Well, I love you. I thank God for you. Tabernacles represents the millennial reign of Christ where we will spend time in the sukkah with him for a thousand years. Oh, how glorious. Look, I, I hope you've enjoyed my little representation of the sukkah. John 7:37, right here says to you, on the last great day of the festival of Sukkot, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then on the other side, we have the other beautiful scripture that I shared with you tonight. You shall celebrate the festival of tabernacles under the Lord for seven days in the year. You shall live in the Sukkot booth for seven days. You know those seven days, 
can be 365 days to you in the new covenant. This week, from now to next Wednesday, could be a seven-day period that you consecrate to God to seek his presence, to have him dwell at your house. No cursing, no swearing, no evil thing there, no arguing, no, 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 no. This is our time to celebrate the presence of God and then do everything in your power to bring someone with you to church. I love you. We'll be praying over all the needs that you share with us tonight and believing God for your greatest miracle. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I wanna invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.